0: welcome back everyone recently kayla has been asking on social media what you the listener are interested in we received a handful of requests for a podcast from the producer's point of view we reached out to some of the biggest producers of barrel races and received some awesome stories pointers and the do's and don'ts of producing As many of you know, Kayla has been the producer of the Colorado Classic for eight years now, and in 2020, she paid out just under $200,000. So lucky for you, or not so lucky, this week, you get to listen to her and I talk about our experience and some of the lessons we've learned. In true Money Barrel fashion, Kayla is raw, blunt, and speaks her mind. Speaking of the Colorado Classic, the Colorado Classic Stallion auction is going on right now, January 9th, and the auction ends on January 16th. There are 114 incredible stallion breeding contracts up for grabs at a fraction of their usual stud fee. Go to coloradoclassicstallions.com to sign up and bid today. Don't miss this opportunity to improve your program. Well, buckle up, guys. I wish I hadn't done this. This is The Money Barrel. All right,
1: this, episode is on a topic that I've wanted to do for a while and we had a couple people reach out and ask us to cover it but we wanted to cover the producer side of the industry and just talk about those things that go into producing barrel races and some stories that we've experienced. We reached out to a couple of my friends that also produce barrel races to ask for some of their stories as well Just to see if it was only me that this type of stuff happens to. Um, And it's not. But a lot of people seem to think that it just can't be that hard to put on barrel races. And all you need is three barrels and a tractor. And you're good to go. People will show up and run. And there's a little bit more work that goes into it before that. Um, Just a little background on us. I, we, mainly I... Produced the Colorado Classic um, Fraternity Derby and Open. This upcoming year will be eight years now doing it. And we started it because I wanted a fraternity in Colorado. I didn't always want to travel six or more hours. I didn't realize it would then turn into months and months of work. But it's something that we're really proud of. But it has taught us a lot about this side of the industry. And um, I don't even really like to call myself a producer because it's the one race I do. But it definitely has taught us a lot.
0: And she keeps saying we, for the first time, me, Craig, your non-rodeo regular person, is actually going to be in the podcast and not just in the intro. And I'll say that that hurts my feelings that you said mainly you. You are telling me you could have done that all those years without me?
1: No. But it's... My project, you just have to help on site.
0: I think that takes us into one of the first things that we always talk about, and that's the volunteers. Um, I think if you look at it, one, if you're trying to pay out as much as you can, being able to pay a full staff is not that feasible. So, you know, you're talking about doing all this stuff, and, and the volunteers that come and help, specifically us, our family and friends, you know, we can thank them up front, but <laughs> it takes a lot of people to put on put on the barrel races that we do and we aren't the biggest out there
1: (laughs) no and i do pay my other people i just don't Mm -hmm. pay you
0: yeah. so Uh, there's a couple of us that don't get paid
1: yeah and your mom you guys are kind of screwed um but yeah the volunteers we'll we'll just go right into it um the volunteers and the people that it takes and the behind the scenes things that people don't realize i'm there's Well, mainly because of social media. Obviously, every time you see a new post or a new incentive, people talk about, you know, what producers make and all that stuff. And um, let me tell you, it's far less than minimum wage for the amount of time that goes into it. But there's a lot to think about. Uh, Facility rental cost, insurance, announcer fees, the music you're going to play. Right? Music is tough
0: to choose. Advertising. I was
1: mainly saying because you pick inappropriate music.
0: I got in trouble one time for playing a kid rock song.
1: Anyways, uh, tractor costs, fuel costs, labor costs, uh, for your office staff and your arena staff, water trucks, setting up stalls and RVs, your office, office expenses, like paper, tape, printers, pens, um, anything to make your office look nice, like, um, table coverings, checks. I've almost forgot checks before going to a barrel race. That would have been a bad thing. The computer system you use, batteries, bank fees, timers, scoreboards, awards, uh, dealing with sponsors, doing the draw, processing entries, reporting results. Um, It's all the little stuff that hopefully makes the day go smooth for the contestant. Um, So there's a lot that goes into it.
0: I say even lodging too. something we've always keep track is like, not everybody has a living quarters or we don't have living quarters to help our volunteers and our employees that help us. We put them in a hotel or whatever it is that we need to do for that. It, it can get pretty pricey quickly to have a full team. Another thing we, we never really thought about until we ended up in uh, Pueblo for a while, but our tractor came from North of Denver. So we had to pay for the fuel. And I mean, there's just, a, there's a lot of logistics that to come to, um, producing a barrel race and i think that's one of the things that we kind of want to shine light on in this being kayla being a competitor and a producer is that you see both sides of it of what a producer puts into it and then what you expect as a rider and then some of the behind the scenes stuff that you never get to see if you're just a competitor
1: i mean don't get me wrong as a contestant i have very high expectations just like everybody You know, I want an event to run smooth. I want my stalls to be nice. I want the ground to be good. I want it to run on time. Um, I don't like things that are unorganized, but I have realized how quick things can kind of spiral out of control. And that's taught me a little bit of patience, at least. Um, The most important thing and the most valuable thing I've learned, and it was the very first year was to err on the side of the barrel racer. Um, That is my goal as a producer, that if I have to make a decision about something, I am going to do it for the benefit of the contestant, Um, whether that be, you know, a rule or a rerun or um, what are some things I've run into. Just that type of situation, that verse sticking it to them and, you know, making it harder on the contestant. I'm going to do everything in my power to err on the side of caution of making it right for those that come and support me.
0: One of the key topics we're probably going to touch on a lot, in this is the ground. And specifically in this situation, trying to make it better for the rider, trying to make it better for the competitor is that your producer is going to try to make changes. People always come and say, the ground's bad, the ground, we have no reason to make the ground bad a lot of times in the colorado classic specifically kayla is a competitor as well she's a contestant so we want the ground to be as as uh as decent as possible and if we can make changes we try to obviously not trying to drastically change the race for future competitors but like she was saying we uh, I think as a producer, and I think most producers are this way, that they err on the side of the competitor to try to make it as clean as possible. Because you always want everybody to come back.
1: Yeah, as, I mean, as a contestant, the ground is the most stressful thing. My event is in June, and I literally start stressing about the ground generally in February. Like, it is something I think about. Don't ask me why. I know it's irrational. Um, Craig mentioned earlier and shout out to Maverick Steel um, and Maverick Mercantile of Byers, Colorado. They have supported me for uh, the past five or six years now um, and they have donated their tractor and their drag and it's always been something that I am not a dirt guru. Um, I try my best to not bitch about the ground when I go places. Um, now I know, you know, there is bad ground, but I really try hard to just focus on my riding and my horse. So I've never been the one to know, you know, how to fix ground or make ground better. Um, so it's something that always really stresses me out. And the first day, the first 20 runners of my event, Is my least favorite time of the year. Um, I don't eat that day, which, for those that know me, like that's a really big thing. I can't, like, I don't talk to anybody. It stresses me out until I know how that ground is gonna hold contestants. Um, So, just kind of, you know, rolling more into that. If you feel like the ground is bad at an event, There are ways to go about um, talking to the producer about it. Um, How not to do that is coming up to a producer if they're on their horse. They're trying to get ready to run their race. Obviously, there's exceptions if something's, you know, really dangerous. But, like, trust me, they know. They know what is going on with the ground. Um, or, you know, yelling at the exhibition line. I had a girl do that one year. I was trying to check people in and she tried it up on her horse and, you know, started going off about how terrible the ground was during the exhibitions. And I I didn't even really know what she was talking about until I went back over there um, because I was doing something else. Um, so there's definitely ways to go about it. I will say this year, and we're going to try really hard not to use names during this whole podcast good and bad um but we had to move the colorado classic in a very short amount of time actually to wyoming due to covid and the ground there in the arena was really good but it could be better and we were having a couple slips we also had like three arena records set so it wasn't that the ground was bad um but it could be better And I had people come up to me, and I was told that it was hard. I was told that it was deep. I was told that it was heavy. I was told that it was shifty. And I was told that it was too fluffy.
0: I think I heard too wet. I heard too dry.
1: Yeah, all in the same first 50 of the fraternity. So, obviously, I have to take that into consideration. Um, Who is telling me it? What their horse is like how they work, um, before I go and make all these decisions, because just because it's too deep for somebody doesn't mean that it's truly too deep. I just well, want a safe arena.
0: And that's my biggest thing. So I, as you guys know, if you've listened to this, or if you know me personally, I have, I don't do anything with horses on a ride. I barely feed. I, I <laughs> will drag the arena for her here at her house. I'll throw hay, but I, I'm not a horse person, but I, grew up an athlete. I was a competitor. I still have a competitive drive. And one of the funniest things that I always see and always think back to kind of my my career as an athlete is you get somebody that comes up to you. And I remember sitting in the stands somewhere, I want to say we're Cheyenne or something, and one competitor walks by and says, oh, the ground's terrible. And the next one walks by and says, oh, the ground's so good today. And the next one comes by and says, oh, it's too deep. Oh, it's too shallow. I always try to keep in mind, and I've told Kayla this a few times, and, and not that she complains that much, but I've told her a few times that your bad day is somebody else's good day. You hear about horses that run well on short patterns and horses that run well on long patterns and horses that run well outside and horses that run inside. The ground may be bad for you, but that doesn't mean the ground's bad. The ground might not be suitable for your horse, but someone else is going to take home a check of, you know, $15,000. So it's always something to keep in mind that maybe, you know, maybe that arena is not your arena, but it doesn't mean the ground's bad.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and this year, like I said, we, we just wanted to make it better for everybody. Um, And we, I mean, we, like I said, we had an arena record break a couple times, but we also did have one horse fall and that horse falling was far more important to me than the arena records. But again, I had to decide what was the best way to make it better for everybody and I had a competitor come up to me and say, hey, we have this drag. This is what we do. We drop it, you know, just one inch and then it holds better. And that was constructive criticism that we could actually do something about versus just complaining. Um, so if, if you're in that type of situation, especially with ground, you know, just realize that the producer generally knows what's going on and they're stressing about it far more than you because they want everybody to be able to have um, their best run. I will also add that for the most part, I get to watch most of the runs. Um, Like Craig said, I always do try to compete at my own event, even though I think that generally just adds more stress to it. Um, However, I get to watch a lot and it never fails that generally the people that complain about the ground the most are the ones that horses are running strung out pulling on them the riders pulling on them um and you know that that just be like take that into consideration like if your horse is running off and you have to pull on them to try to make the turn and they slip and lose their hind end that's not my fault i know that's probably brutally honest probably a little bit more than i meant to get but it's true um, so that's, that's the ground side of it.
0: And I can talk to that one as well and I'm sure if uh, that competitor from last year in Torrington is uh, listening they know who they are and I can tell you that uh, they came and talked to me personally and were very receptive and had a good conversation and you know, ultimately that one turned out well we made a change and they continued the weekend and did really well for the rest of the weekend so constructively if you can come and have a conversation with the producer the right way or one of their um, volunteers or employees the right way, it can really benefit the entire barrel race. But to come and scream at somebody or to come at the wrong, inop- you know, an inopportune time and have a conversation isn't going bid- to benefit anybody and it's going to go in one ear and out the other. So again, that person, we don't want to use names, but it was handled well. And if we can fix it, we will. Or And, and we keep saying we and I and we and I, but Uh, This is really speaking as the voice of the producer because we did have a lot of producers reach out to us and necessarily didn't want to be on the podcast because they have a business to run and they don't want their name to be shown as, uh, you know, quote unquote, talking bad or, you know, talking about competitors. But we're not talking bad. We're kind of being that voice.
1: Um, Which tying to that is the weather because the weather is something that causes me a lot of stress. And I didn't realize until I started producing events um, that the weather ties to the ground. And that is something that's really difficult to manage. Um, Sometimes in indoor arenas, it's not as bad, except if it does get really humid, it does affect how quick the ground dries out. um, If it's more humid inside the arena, and if the facility watered the week before, the day before, then you're dealing with. Heavier ground than you normally would have. Um, I used to produce the Colorado classic in Colorado Springs and in Pueblo, which were an outdoor arena and then a covered arena, but both at fairly hot places. And that affected how often I had to water um, because the ground would dry out and how much water I had to put on it before even starting the event. And that's all kind of trial and error unless you are really used to that facility. So producers that only put on one race a year there um, or switch up arenas, every arena is different and every arena they have to try to fix and get great before their event starts and a lot of time they only have like a day to get in there. Um, I know at both Colorado Springs and Pueblo, I got there the day before the contestants did. And one year in Colorado Springs, I think they had a huge like festival set up with a concert and um, fair stuff set up in the arena. So the arena was hard packed the day before contestants came and then in Pueblo it's normally a raining arena. So in, you know, 12 or 24 hours, producers have to roll in and shift that ground to work for a barrel racer. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to complain by any means because we do it, we choose to do it as producers, but it's just something that we have to do that I don't think a lot of people realize, Um, which is why at least for my event, I make a very strict rule that I don't want people showing up before a certain time. And generally that's because if people got there while we were trying to prepare it, all the comments would begin then before even necessary, you know, people would show up. Oh my God, the ground's going to be hard. It was concrete. Um, And that's just something I don't need. So then when people show up four hours earlier than they're supposed to, it's just added stress.
0: And I can Count the years now and shout out to Coy Hildreth <laughs> the amount of times he's been up till midnight, two o'clock in the morning the night before, because Kayla's pulling her hair out, going, Oh, the ground, the ground, the ground, and he's just dragging and dragging and dragging, and then some water, and then dragging, and then, you know, oh, now there's too much. Let's hope that the sun comes out. And, you know, again, that's a, a huge thing on a on your crew that like she said, you might have the weekend before might be uh, what was it at, um, down in Color Springs? They do the, the, uh, motocross. Yeah. And so, you know, that ground is completely different. And there might have been a jump that was 12 mm-hmm. feet tall right there in the middle of the arena. And they, I mean, it's, again, you can't hold it against the event centers because they're just trying to make money. But they, we have to go in or whoever has to go in and try to get it back to whatever the next ground might need to be. So, you know, again, we'd have someone like Coy Hildreth out there at two o'clock in the morning just running the tractor for us.
1: Yeah. Um, which we won't bore you to death about the ground stuff, but obviously that is one of the biggest things. Uh, another thing that, you know, producers have to think about, and I don't think a lot of other people realize, is that it's not just the ground, but the safety aspect of the whole event. Um, I, ha- I, I'm i going to say I, but obviously it's all producers, have to try to think of any possible way somebody could get hurt and, get that taken care of. Um, whether that be an outdoor gate, um, the holding pen, the rules about dogs. Um, it's, it is a real big challenge because you have to think of what could happen. Um, where we park the tractors, where we put banners, where we put fences, how we put the stop. Um, it's all just things that, you know, you have to try to think about. And every time you go to a new facility, Um, You know, you as a barrel racer go and look at the setup and all of that to prepare your run. But, you know, the producer has to think about, well, what happens if this horse takes off? Um, At least like at my events, when we put the tractor in the arena, I try to put it on the right side of the third barrel because most horses are running up there because most horses are right hand barrel first so when they're running up to third to make a left hand turn if they trip stumble or just flat take off and shoot left of that third barrel they're less likely to hit the tractor i mean that's something that like really stressed me out about those facilities and you know where i put the tractor and how i put the gates it's all just things that producers have to think
0: about. I remember one of the first years of the Colorado Classic I was trying to help and I went out and I hung all the banners and I said look Kayla I hung the banners and she goes are you kidding me and I had to go cut them all down and move them again because you know it's right where the barrel, right where they turn, right where it might scare it's just little things that you might never think of um, and when you, you didn't tie
1: down the bottom. That was and, the Oh yeah thing. they were
0: flapping in the wind in, in Pueblo uh, so you know just you're trying to prevent something bad from happening and comes off on, you know, as as me as the husband had to be the one that dealt with it. So it's just little things that you'd never think of. You never bring enough zip ties. You never bring enough duct tape. You never, it's like you get there and you don't have a set of scissors and, oh, you don't have batteries for your radios to talk between people. It always becomes one more thing.
1: Yeah. If you do produce races and you don't have little radios, I highly, highly recommend it because that has been a lifesaver for us.
0: Um, but guaranteed someone will get a radio from their car. And next thing you know, you'll be having somebody try to talk to you about the ground <laughs> on their walkie talkie. Like, No.
1: <laughs> Another thing I wanted to bring up um, and it was sent to me and it was a good point that was brought up is once again on social media, I feel like barrel racers are sometimes their own worst enemies. Um, I do have some friends in other industries and I feel like maybe I don't see the same level of, openly voicing opinions. Um, but social media is a really big thing and what you post generally the sponsors of the event see. So if you post, you know, your opinion or how, you know, rude somebody was or how the ground didn't hold up and, um, that is then a negative light on that event that somebody paid $1,000 to sponsor it. Um, now, again, I'm not saying that, you know, if you have a bad weekend, like, you know, you need a high there necessarily. But there there's ways to go about things and social media can be really, really tough. And it's, it's the same as a positive thing. You know, if you go to a place and you enjoy it, like give a shout out to that producer, um, give a shout out to that event. Uh, like I'll say, I was pretty amazed the first year of the Royal Crown. I saw so many positive posts and generally you see more negative than positive about something. Um, And it's from people that didn't even necessarily win anything. Obviously, if people win, they had a good weekend and they'll post it. But it was just a lot of positive comments. And that was so nice to see um, because a lot of times you don't get that. And as a producer, it is relatively easy to take those negative comments to heart and forget about the positive ones. Um, But that's just because... Everybody is just trying. They want to make it a good experience for the contestant because the only way to stay in business as a producer is if contestants come back. And nowadays, with social media, I mean, you need good comments on social media so then people will come back too. So, you know, just realize that what you post, it's not just your friends seeing, a lot of times it's sponsors too. And that could be a make or break of that sponsor going back to that event the next year.
0: That applies to a lot of things. That applies to <laughs> real world all the time. Most of the time you only see negative comments, and that's because someone who had a good experience is less inclined to go make that comment, is less inclined to go spend their 15 minutes on social media to complain about something. So I always remember that too that it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the ground is that if you had a bad weekend or you didn't enjoy something, um, you know, find a positive way to fix that so that because you want to come back next year, right? There's a lot of money that's being run for, and especially in some of these, some of these Royal Crown and Pink Buckle, and there's a lot of money. So,
1: Colorado Classic, thank uh, you. I wasn't going to say that. But thank you.
0: There's a lot of a lot of money to be run for, and we don't want those events to go away. So, you know, if if there's a positive way or a more constructive way to uh, get those comments out, you know, try to find that.
1: Yeah, so we wanted to share some stories um, of just some things that have stuck out to me um, during my years producing and then, you know, what some other producers have sent to us. Um, And the first one is kind of a, it's an example of my saying of error on the side of caution of the barrel racer, um, but also kind of the negative side that you have to deal with. Um, I think it was the second year I produced the Colorado Classic. I allowed late entries and on the day of the second run or the second go, the girl who won the round the first day was a late entry. So my late entries went to the, just the bottom of the draw and they were a part of the reverse draw the second day. And she wasn't in the holding pen, but I knew where her stalls were. And it took me a second to all of a sudden realize that, I did not have it in my rules that the late entries would just be a part of the draw. Some races put the late entries at the end of either race and I panicked. I was not about to turn out this girl who had won the round because there was an issue in my rules. Um I in that, you know, that was my split second decision to err on the side of caution. Now, what that meant was I had to run as fast as I can, and I am not a fast runner, but I really (laughs) tried hard, um, all the way across the facility and thank God she had her horse tacked up and I was like, Hey, it is your turn. You are up. And she's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I thought I was at the end. I'm like, I know. And you're not going to have time to warm up, but if you want to make your run, you need to go right now. She hopped on her horse and she ran over there. Um, And then she went to go lope a couple circles and I had to run back out there. And I'm like, no, 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 you have to go. At this time, I'm delaying the race. People are starting to talk. People who are ready to run are mad at me. They don't understand the situation. Um, But I wanted to at least give her a chance to make her run. Granted, it wasn't probably going to be the best. She didn't get to warm up or anything. Um, But as I was in the arena apologizing to somebody, their husband came up to me. And said, yeah, well, you know what? If we could hang you right now, we would. But I guess we can't, so we'll just have to deal with it.
0: Which is incredible. You would, I mean, again, it's not kind of a pity us thing because we do this. We volunteer to do the the Colorado Classic every year. But uh, my mother, um, she has volunteered a ton and put a lot of time. And uh, she manages so much of the Colorado Classic for us. But she was parking cars um, some years ago. And some of the stuff that people would say to her in the parking lot when she's just out there trying to do her best and she doesn't she's not involved in the sport. But I mean, it is crazy. So when (laughs) when you are getting frustrated, just know that other people are frustrated as well. And the things that you say stick in people's mind. And I mean, Kayla's said that to me many times before about this person saying that. And so you know, what, six years ago. Yeah. Now. You just
1: stare at them. And at the time, I think I was 23 or something. Like I wasn't even a real producer. I just wanted to put on a fraternity and I didn't, you know, I just looked at him. I didn't know how to handle that. Um
0: That was one of the, one of the comments that we got a couple of time was from uh, different producers that, I mean, we understand the time crunch. We understand the timing of all of it. We know as, I know Owners. you've given your
1: medications. Yes. I've oh. known you've warmed up. I mm-hmm. know you're Lasix and, you know,
0: and we are not specifically, we meaning producers in general are not trying to hurt your horses or, or set you up for failure. And, and sometimes weather, you know, weather sets in or stuff like this happens where we make a mistake and we're just trying to, again, fix it for somebody else and, so remember what you're saying and think about what you're saying and how that's going to, you know, affect somebody in the future. And so I have another write in here. So we have a couple here that we'll go through and that we think are think are funny or, or neat or, uh, you know, we can all kind of learn a lesson from. And so this one we called Locked Stalls. Uh, so the producer wrote in and said, uh, stall assignments are posted and stall cards are on the stalls. Uh, the producer posts, call when you need your stall unlocked and we will get it unlocked for you. And the producer's mindset was, well, you're not going to end up with somebody else's horse in your stall or you're not going to have to argue about stalls. They'll come unlock it for you. They'll check your name, check your horses, make sure uh, you're where you're supposed to be. So this contestant comes in and um, she remembered getting multiple calls from this same contestant uh, asking for the stall manager to come unlock the stall. So after about the fourth fifth time that they've gotten this call the stall manager started to recognize this stall over and over again and kind of walks up and goes i've unlocked this for you before why have i unlocked this four or five times now and the uh competitor said that she was locking her stall when she put her horse in there and the sign said to call anytime they needed their stall unlocked so the lock manager kinda of chuckles and looks at her and after the fourth or fifth time she's been locking her horse in the stall, he takes the lock off, locks it on the bars of the of the stall, and seals it there so she can't do it again. But it's just the kind of stuff you see you think you can you can dot your dot your I's and cross your T's and you know try to set everything up so nobody else's horses are in there. And the next thing you know somebody's locked their stall four or five times thinking they're doing the right thing and trying to help you out as well and your stall manager unlocked the same stall five times.
1: Yeah. That, that was somebody that took the reading, the rules a little bit too seriously.
0: Um, But everybody's just trying their best, right? I mean, that's just, think about where someone else is coming from. The manager's trying to do their best. The producer's trying to do their best. This competitor's trying to do their best. Next thing you know, we've got a stall locked five times with a horse in it. I have some, I have some personal ones too. So for any of you that haven't come to the Colorado classic, I have like three main roles that I perform. Uh, a lot of it having nothing to do with horses. Cause as I've said before, I don't, that's not my, not my shtick. So I run the parking a lot of times. I'll, I'll get everybody situated. I know the numbers. I know where people are supposed to be parked. Um, I run the radio, um, meaning I, I play the music, uh, try to get everything set up for that and I'll keep time, uh, for the races and sometimes do some announcing. But, um, over the years being in the parking lot, uh, has been very interesting, a uh, lot of, a lot of big trailers, small parking lots, lots of horses, lots of competitors, lots
1: of rude people. I mean, we will just say rude and entitled.
0: Well, so that, that leaves my next thing. I don't worry too much about that. Cause usually I'm four or five drinks in at that point. Cause <laughs> I can't, I can't deal with it when people are like, well, I'd like to be over here. Well, you're supposed to be over here. Well, I can't park my trailer. I've had people ask me to park their truck and trailers for them over and over and over again. I want to look at them and go this coffee cup, is full of whiskey. <laughs> I am not parking your trailer you for you. Can you say that? You say that? M- yeah. My my coffee cup is full of an adult <laughs> beverage. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't park for him. I can't drive. But yeah, so you're asking the guy in the parking lot, like you you traveled 13 hours in your 57 foot five horse bloomer <laughs> with your 3500 flatbed, and you're asking the guy in the parking lot who's wearing shorts and his baseball hat on backwards. To park your truck and trailer for you because you're not comfortable. Well, no, I'm drunk.
1: <laughs> that's that's my help, guys. That's not, those are my volunteers. That's how they get through it.
0: But I look really good doing it.
1: Um, <laughs> that kind of loops into the next story that we were that was submitted. We had a, a producer submit this one and on most big weekends the entries come in and it's a rule that if you want to be next to somebody or stall next to somebody you need to put it on your form so this producer gets one and it says please park me by my friend Becky and my friend Sandy um we're all gonna camp together so she marks that down And then the next one they get is, you know, the second girl that says, hey, please, you know, put me by this girl. The third girl sends in her request, and the note says, please do not park me by Becky. My husband cannot stand her, and my weekend will be ruined, so please park me next to Cindy across the lot from her, and don't put ourselves together. (laughs) I don't know how you're supposed to handle that because no matter what you're going to do, you're going to make somebody mad. And then they're going to come at you saying, well, why didn't you put me with my friend? Or why did you put me here? I asked you not to. Um, but you get stuff like that.
0: So, and I'll say here, I probably should have said this at the beginning, but obviously Becky and Sandy aren't real names. Yeah. But if you're sitting in your car right now listening to our podcast going, was that about me?
1: <laughs> it might be. It's,
0: <laughs> kind of, it's kind of like those those funny pictures on the internet when like you get your feelings hurt and then you realize like, it's not actually about you, but if the shoe fits right.
1: Or they're, you know, one thing that people don't realize and it's funny because barrel racers sometimes feel like they're sneaky, but they're not sneaky. So like when we work the arena at night and the gates are are chained, we leave the arena. And most times if I'm in the office, I don't leave until, 11 o'clock at night or later, um, and then I'm back by 6. So there's not a whole lot of time, but you chain the gates to the arena, you leave, and then you come back, and somebody has set up the barrels and work their horse in the middle of the night. Um, those type of situations are where rules are put into place and fines are put into place because a lot of times we don't have to pay for the arena that first day we set up. But if a horse steps foot in it, we now owe the facility. And if the
0: facilities are weird like that, because the first night you're just paying for the parking lot and they're kind of divided up. So you're not paying for the office. You're not paying for the arena. You're not paying, you're just paying for the parking lot. They allow
1: us to set up, but Mm -hmm. somebody going and doing this, they also have security guards going across their facility, uh, counting stalls and everything. And then, then we owe money. Um, so people do this. And I don't really, I, I don't understand why. It's the same as if the stall doesn't have your name or the RV doesn't have your name. There's a lot of time put into organizing those type of things. So don't just try to change it for you because there's a rhyme and reason um, to why it's being done. Just like exhibitions. Exhibitions are limited generally to 60 or 90 seconds. And then... If you don't get out of the arena, you're postponing the race. If you're yelled at or fined for being in the arena for an extended amount of time, then you get mad. Um, but people get mad that they're booted out of the arena. and But then people are mad that your event is running late because the exhibitions took an extra hour because people walked through the pattern or didn't care about getting out of it. Um, so rules are generally rules for a reason and it's because they were broke at some point and the producer had to put them into effect to keep the event going smooth
0: as i'm running the parking it's always fun because i'll be like okay what's your name and how many horses do you have and here's your stalls and they're like oh i uh, you know blah 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 and i have uh i have two stalls and i look as their trailer goes by and there's four horses in the stall or in the trailer and i go they're going to try to put those in a stall somewhere and there's always open stalls in most places. Um, you know, if you go to a big enough arena, there's usually open stalls somewhere and yeah, maybe you can fit your horses in there, but the security guy on the golf cart is riding around and he's documenting how many horses are in stalls. And that bill comes to me.
1: Yes. And then I have to fight that. So just don't break the rules. Um,
0: you're not the only person who thought to do that. You're not You're not being sneaky. Everybody, I mean, we've all tried to get over here or there. We've all said, oh, I'll just bring one extra horse. Again, we laugh because we are producers plus competitors. So we've been on both sides of it where we go, well, we're only entering two, but we have a third. But you know, you're not the only person that thought about that. You're not the only person trying to get, get one over and you know just take care of your producers and they'll take care of you.
1: Which, that kind of goes into reading the rules, um, which some people, like the girl with the stall, read the rules too much. And some people don't read the rules at all. And this also goes for producers. If producers put out ads, please include the necessary information. Where the arena is located. What time the events start. And then please stick to your times. Don't change them. What the payout is, what the payout percentage is. Um, Those are the important things that need to go on the ad, not just bright colors and stuff like that, saying that as a contestant. Um, But I put as much info into my rules as I can. Now, if you've read through them twice, three times, and you still can't find the information, by all means, please call me. They're my rules. I should know them better than anybody else. Um, however, if you can have it answered without calling me, that would eliminate one phone call that I don't have to take about this information I've already put out there. Now, a lot of my friends do this to me, and I love them all to death, but I don't want to read the rules. Um, but I know you know the rules. I get it. I'll still answer your question, but I put rules out there for a reason. Um, So, just read the info. Like, one of the years, we are going to have a big um, added money breeders fraternity with Vista Equine in 2022, I think is when it starts. Um, And so, this was a couple years ago that this situation happened. But this gal showed up to check in and she's like, well, I'm checking in for the 10,000 added reader's fraternity and I'm like that's not a thing and she's like yes it is nope not a thing she's like yes it is and I'm like I can promise you that there is not 10,000 added to that nor was it ever advertised in that it's going to be in a couple years and this gal got so mad at me in the office and then she's like well I would have never I, I drove 12 hours or 15 hours I would have never drove here if that wouldn't have been here And at that point, I'm just looking at her like, I I don't know what to tell you. But the kicker was the breeder's incentive is for the fraternity. And this girl just had derby horses. But she still didn't read the rules to realize that. And in that case, took it out on me. um, Which at that point, I just have to turn around and continue doing what I'm doing. So by no means trying to be rude, but there was no disputing this conversation Um, so reading the rules is very, very important.
0: Well, and I know at that time too, that we feel bad in that situation and we want to find a way to fix it. And I think on that one, it was like, well, here, you can enter this, you can enter this, you can enter this, you fit this, you know, here's how much money you can win this weekend. Like that doesn't exist. Here's our flyer. Um, but let's find a way to make you some money anyways, because we want everybody to come back and we want all of our all of our competitors to enjoy their weekend, whether they win money or not. But uh, that was something we had sent in from a, another producer as well. as, you know, you go in and you're upset for whatever reason, and you start to yell at the volunteer, the worker that's behind the counter that probably has no idea. You know, for example, for us, uh, Kayla's best friend from out of state. Her name's Haley. Comes and she's not in the horse business anymore, but. Uh, She comes and runs a lot of our office for her. She's very good with the numbers and very good with the books and really knows what's going on. And a lot of times people will get upset at her. And again, she doesn't understand. She's not a part of the creation of the barrel race. She's not of that, of our fraternity, but she's just kind of the face that gets yelled at because she's the one sitting in the office. So if you do get upset, think about who's, again, think about who you're talking to. Does that person have any involvement? Well, maybe what's a better way to deal with it? Um, then, then going after that person.
1: Yeah. Like this other producer, you know, her office help got yelled at because they wouldn't take the entry for the future fortune side pot without the future fortune paperwork. Well, that is, we have to, we have to submit that paperwork. in. that is a future fortunes rule. And this person lost their mind on this office help because she wouldn't take their entry for the future fortune side pot without the paperwork. Um, So it doesn't really make sense, but it is something that you just have to deal with as a producer, which one of my favorite stories, um, was in 2019, I had a contestant text me and say, yeah, your event is canceled. I see, um, or is your event still going? I can't find the the information. And I was like, everything's on my website. Um, everything's up. And they're like, well, it's the 2019 paperwork. I'm looking for this year's. And I was like, what are you talking about? It is 2019. And they're like, no, it's for 2020. So I guess is your event canceled? Do I need to tell my friends not to come? And I was like, no, no, no. Like, don't, please don't tell your friends the event's canceled. I don't need that rumor going. But it is the year 2019. So the paperwork is accurate. And she debated me. She kept telling me that, no, I was wrong. I didn't have the proper paperwork up. She wasn't going to come to my event. And at that point, again, there's really no words to say besides, um, I think I ended it was with, if you would like to enter, I would love to have you come. If you post date your check for 2020, your entry will not be taken. Uh, But if you want to wait till 2020, you can still come. And then like two and a half months later, she texted me like a week before the event. She's like, oh my gosh, I I realized I was talking about the wrong year. I'm so sorry. I'm on my way.
0: I remember sitting there and I watched Kayla open her phone and I watched her go over to the calendar and I watched her check her computer. And then she asked me and she says, it's 2019, right? (laughs) I said, yes, it's 2019. She goes, are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It's 2019. Yeah. Maybe I can
1: guess myself for oh, a minute. She,
0: yep. She's in this conversation about what year it was. And she almost convinced herself that it was, that it was 2020 and that she had the wrong paperwork up. But... We didn't need to jump to 2020. <laughs> this yeah, girl wanted to jump to 2020. She's trying to get to 2020 too fast.
1: One of my all time favorite stories though is 2019. And... It was the first night of check-in and I allowed, I promise these aren't all negative stories. Um, I allow late entries and I'm pretty good at remembering who I stall where and I know where the pre-entries are and I know where the late entries are and it's 11, 1130 at night. I've just packed up all my stuff and I'm heading back to the trailer and all of a sudden I hear somebody yelling at me and I turn around and they're like, there's a loose horse. There's two loose horses. And at Pueblo, it is asphalt everywhere, um, besides in the arena. And so, these horses are running around, you know, they're kind of slipping on the asphalt. Sparks
0: flying Yeah, sparks flying from their
1: shoes. And then, if they get out the gate of the facility, they're out on the main road. So, I start hollering at people to shut gates and let's try to get these horses caught. So, I'm running around with my backpack full of paperwork on me. And... I was like, where did the horse come from? And they're like, you know, they pointed over somewhere. And I knew that this was a late entry. And I'm like, okay, well, let's get these horses caught. So there's two horses. And all of a sudden we start getting close to this horse. And we realize it is a stallion and a mare in June running around. Needless to say, they were not letting us get close. And the stud had Different things on his mind mm-hmm. versus being cooperative. So now all of a sudden, we are dealing with a stud and a mare loose running on asphalt, and I have no idea who these horses belong to. So I start like racking my mind like, who had a stud late check in? And I realize who it was, but I didn't have their phone number because I didn't have all of the paperwork on me. So I start texting my friends in different states, like, "Hey, who has this person's number? Who has this person's number? I need to get a hold of them. I know it's 11:30 at night." Um, thankfully, Kyle Jack McIntyre has everybody's phone numbers, it seems, and he was able to get me this owner's number. So I call her and I'm like, "Hey, you know, your studs out. We need you to come back. Like, we we cannot get them wrangled. So we are running around." trying to get these animals caught. Meanwhile, Craig is yelling at me. So
0: this is June 2019. Um, For those of you that don't know much personal about us or aren't friends with us on Facebook, we have a child uh, who (laughs) at the time was being being built. That's (laughs) the weirdest way to say that. Kayla was a professional bodybuilder at the time. And was building this small human inside of her. But at this time, Kayla didn't want anybody to know that. I tried to hide
1: it. I wasn't hiding it well at that point. But everybody just thought I was fat.
0: So she's four and a half months pregnant at this time. And I'm saying, Kayla, get out of the area. Like, leave. And she's like, no. And a couple people around us, I think, taylor hildreth was there They're like why are you fighting and, well yeah and and they're like no we need kayla here she's good at this kind of stuff and i'm like she needs to leave and i think at one point in time we got him into the arena and i'm like kayla she's like trying to cut the horses off is this stallion that's full bore she's trying to cut them off and we're just yelling at each other everybody's like why are you so mad at her she's you know this is what she does for a living she knows the horses and and i'm like Yeah, and then so we got through the entire weekend and then finally we tell people, because Kayla wanted to get through the Colorado Classic to before telling anybody so that people didn't treat her differently or you know, we didn't have to worry about the questions or the pictures or any of that. And this entire time I'm just yelling at her, I'm like, get out of the arena and people didn't understand why. So she's trying to get run over, four months pregnant by a stallion that's gotten out.
1: Yeah, so then I realized The stallion is obviously, you know, a very nice barrel horse, and I am freaking out. This contestant had never been to the Colorado Classic before. I figured I absolutely was going to get blasted on Facebook, um, either by the stalls or that her horse got hurt. I was so worried, and I did not know what to do. And hands down, they were the nicest people. Um, The next morning, they brought me cupcakes, which I don't... I still don't know why they were so nice to do that, but they felt bad that their stud got out. Um, which it, what really wasn't even the stud's fault. Uh, somebody had left their mayor's door unlocked. The mayor had gotten out, walked in front, and he broke out. Anyways, um, they brought me cupcakes and, you know, apologized for the issues that I had to go through when I was just so worried that, you know, they were going to just ruin my reputation. Um and they did it, so I mean that was that's a positive a, story. But that was a really scary, mo- like thirty minutes.
0: That was a that's always a big thing too. As many times as I've been, you know, we've been up until two o'clock in the morning, set in the arena and everything for the next day. Make sure the eyes work, make sure the computers are set up, and that we're not gonna, you know, have any hiccups the next day. And then at six o'clock in the morning, we're back in that booth again, and someone that I don't know, someone who knows me or knows Kayla, brings us a coffee, and it's like changes the day completely. So. I always think about that. It's, I mean, there's a lot of positives that happen, too.
1: And Yeah, this podcast really wasn't just to be about all negatives, um, except it seems like the negatives are the side that people don't realize. Um, the reason I feel like a lot of people produce barrel races is because they truly do care about the industry. Again, you're not going to get rich off of it. Now, I will say I do believe that producers deserve to make money. Um, nobody should work for free. and the bigger the race, the more work it takes, the more money they're paying out. Hopefully the more money they're making too. Because um, you know, everybody making money makes it work better. But it's because they really care about the industry. Um, I would be lying if I wouldn't if I said I didn't think about quitting the Colorado Classic before. Um, because the amount of stress and the amount of time, not just for me, but I mean, my family, like my living room turns into basically a Colorado Classic office in February and Craig has to deal with me talking about it 325 days a year. Um, but, you know, I I wanted to stick it out because of those stud owners in my program that, you know, have supported me from the start and then their colts step up and they win a lot of money, um, like Fire on Bug and Guy's Canyon Moon. We had a couple of their horses win some pretty big checks the past couple of years. Um, and that was really cool to see because they had been with me for a couple of years. Um, the people you meet, a lot of my friends in the industry have really come from me producing the Colorado Classic um, because I have some nice horses and try to go at places, but I I'm not a big time trainer. So a lot of the people I've met and now have become my friends are through the Colorado classic. Um, so it's been a really cool experience, but seeing the people win things that they've never won before um, the amateur stuff, the youth stuff. I mean, that is what makes it worth it. Um, well, it's wh-
0: incredible when you get a youth, it's like, can I get a picture with the buckle? And it's like, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. What one year, you know, it was our first year giving out youth buckles and it was at the very end of the whole event. I didn't want to deal with results. You know, I, I figured I'd post them later. Um, I was trying to, you know, at the end of the event, a producer has to clean, their crew is tired. They have to take down banners. A lot of times they have to clean up the facility Um you know, they're not necessarily going to do results right away because for the most part, people aren't sticking around. Um, Which kind of brings me to a pet peeve of then people being like, you know, you didn't post results fast enough and why aren't results up? Well, you know what, if you're not going to wait till the very, very end of the race to see results, then I'm not going to hustle to put them online just so you can see it because the check isn't going to get to you any sooner. Um, So anyways, we're just trying to do things and get out of there. And I looked outside and there was a couple people waiting and I asked them what they were waiting for. And they were waiting on the youth results. And at this point, this was like the last thing I wanted to do. Um, but I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get them done. And I I did the youth results real quick and I, I went to go post them and it was this girl's first buckle that she had ever won. It was in her hometown her dad, her grandma, her siblings, her mom had come and watched her and they were all there. So they were waiting to see the results so they could see where she placed to get the buckle. And it was a big deal for them. Um, they wanted to get pictures with me. They wanted to get pictures with um, Taylor and Coy Hildreth, who are the youth sponsors. Um, and that is, I mean, that is cool. That is really cool to see that stuff. And it is those moments that make producing it you know
0: better because um, it's part of the reason that this sport's so incredible especially just coming off the nfr it's something that's talked about a lot and you know, we're at the we're at the colorado classic where some of the big names that we've interviewed on this podcast that were just at the nfr they're running for a lot of money and you know sometimes you get wrapped up in it and think about what all this means and you know talking about the ground and talking about the event and talking about the money. And then this, you know, young girl, 14 years old comes up and goes, this is my first belt buckle ever. And it takes Kayla back. It takes us back to, you know, the first time that anybody gets on a horse the first time that we, you know, and that's what makes it worthwhile for us as producers. And yeah. um, And and at
1: least, at least for me, you know, for a fraternity and Derby, my goal is to give away a lot of money. Um, I mean, we paid out $175,000 last year, which for a Colorado barrel race, I mean, that that's a big deal. Um, and we've worked really hard to that. And even I get caught up in, you know, I want the trainers that are going to bring six or seven horses. And then the trainers show up and, you know, some of those trainers are... The harder ones to handle because they do have so much money invested, which is completely understandable. Um, however, they aren't the only ones there and we need everybody to make it work. And even I forget about, you know, the people just that might have their first paternity horse or the youth contestant or that 4D contestant that, you know, finally made the run And it's those opportunities that I feel make producing races so worth it.
0: Oh, I still get pumped up anytime somebody comes out and they're half a second off and they're yipping and hollering and saying that's their new, you know, personal best on a standard pattern. And I mean, it's a, I make jokes all the time about the 1D, 2D, 3D and like, you know, what are we doing here? But that's what this sport is. Everybody's out there trying to do their best. The competitors are, the the producers are, the, you know, the volunteer staff or the paid staff they are everybody's out there just trying to do their best and i think if we take a deep breath and remember that from both sides myself yep. as well and go everybody's just out here trying their hardest and i think we forget that it's competitive and you know but this is by far especially never it's having about done everybody i never having done this sport myself and having played a lot of other sports i mean this is the best sport there is the best people the best atmosphere and you guys show it every time you come. So
1: we won't take up too much of your time, um, but hopefully we gave you a little bit of an insight. um, Maybe a couple chuckles, maybe a couple, Oh, I hope I'm not that person uh, to producing barrel races. And you know, everybody, if everybody tries to understand everybody else a little bit better, I think, you know, it'll, it'll make our industry a better, stronger place that is more open to everybody. Um, Another producer wrapped up her submittal and I thought it was pretty cool because I've never even thought of it this way before. But producers who make changes and introduce new aspects to help better our sport in many ways, they are the catalyst for better change and have to fight the negativity to make our industry better. And I thought that was really cool because it is true. Anybody that has really tried to change our industry, whether it be incentive programs, um, going from you know the straight payout barrel races to the open four Ds, opening up fraternity to five year olds, um, you know, paying out a new way, they generally are probably met with a lot of negativity because nobody really likes change but they then put in the hard work to produce their event, to prove it, to try to make the industry better. So we need producers. We need contestants. We need supporters. We need sponsors. And if we all just realize that we need each other, we will make our industry stronger.
0: That's something that Kayla and I say a lot to each other at home is if we're not getting better every day, we're getting worse. If you're not getting better, whether you're getting worse or standing still, you're getting worse. So let's try to keep being better, put on better races, be better competitors. I think this was fun, but hopefully I never have to do this again.
1: You have one more because we're doing the non-rodeo regular person episode featuring you.
0: You you. You guys probably saw enough right now. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just going to keep drinking my beer.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. After we ended our recording, I realized that I forgot to touch base on a very important part of producing and one that really means a lot to me and is near and dear to my heart is the importance of Equistat in our industry. If you haven't heard of Equistat, it is the main association, body, um, group of people that track earnings They track earnings for the horse, the rider, the owner, the breeder, the stallion, the mare, um, and a variety of events, barrel racing just being one of them. And it is so very important that we have these records. Whether it's when you go to sell a horse or uh, you go to breed your mare, sometimes Brazilian exports need a certain dollar amount. Um, these dollar amounts come into play and it truly is the only verifiable source. It's not 100% accurate because not everything is submitted, but the more and more and more events we get submitted to them, the better. So as a producer, I feel like that is a job of yours. It is part of your duty of producing a race. All it takes is submitting your results to the gals at Equostat. We will post a link that has their email and their website. Um, they need an Excel file. If you use the Charlie Horse software, um, there's a button you can press and it exports directly to them. It's really simple. Otherwise, if you have an Excel file, all they need is complete event data, all the classes, and the It used to be 80% of entries, however, I do believe now it is only 80% of check earners need to have their horses registered names. That is really, really doable. A big part is asking for registered names at your races. Don't enter or don't let people enter as Horse 1, Horse 2, Sally Jane, and Ginger. Use your horses registered names. That way, the producer can then turn around, submit their results, and it goes into the system. These results are sent to Barrel Horse News. Um, And again, it's really for the tracking purposes. Now, you may not care. You may own a gelding. You may never want to sell this horse. Um, You may only have one horse, and you don't even know its registered name. It's not that hard to find out. And... You may not care, but somebody put the time and effort into breeding your horse, into marketing that stallion, into proving that mare. And so those results do mean something to somebody. I own a couple mares, and I know at least for a fact two of them are short 10 to 15,000 on their equistats because results weren't submitted from local jackpots. Um, That's a really big deal when I go to try to sell them or breed them and I pull their Equistat report and one of them shows 13,000 and it should show closer to 25,000 or more. Um, One should show about 55,000 and she only shows about 41. That's a big deal. So I really hope that producers, you will take into consideration the importance and the value to our industry that Equistat is, and submit your results. Again, it's not that hard. And if you are a competitor, please use your registered names. Again, I truly don't believe that there's any good reason not to use a registered name, even at your local jackpot. Um, because really, if people specifically don't want to use registered names it's generally because they don't want people to know they have that horse there um they're trying to fix something so they don't want a big name horse on the the draw whatever it doesn't matter the results turned into the industry are far more important than that so again we will post a link to that but please ride with registered names ask your producers to submit results and producers please 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 submit your results That is my PSA for today. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully, after listening to me for an hour, you don't change your mind about the money barrel. We'll be back to our usual programming when Kayla sits down this week with AQHA legend and High Point Performance Horses owner, Charlie Cole. Don't forget to check out the Colorado Classic Stallion Incentive Auction and make your bid today. We'll see you soon.